0: Thank you so very much, good morning. So great to be with you, and for those that are now joining us online or will be watching over the course of the days and weeks to come, welcome as well. We're Returning our Bibles now to Acts, Acts chapter 25, and we are picking up in a situation here where the Apostle Paul is being held in captivity. He's in a situation, a setting in Caesarea, which is in the northwest corridor of Israel under Roman authority. it has gone through various trials. There's a new governor. He's trying to process the information of the prior trials and looking through the documents of all that has been written with regard to the accusations of the Apostle Paul. But now a new man appears on the scene name is Agrippa, King Agrippa. He's part of the family line of the Herods. And we want to see just how this unfolds and how, in essence, what we've just sung the Apostle Paul keeps hope alive. We pick it up now in chapter 25 of verse 13 and you and I find these words that now, when some days had passed, Agrippa The king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So, when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day, took my seat on the tribunal, ordered the man to be brought. And when the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who is dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. And then Agrippa said to Festus. I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. And so Paul is about to be introduced to King Herod. Now his great grandfather was Herod the Great who oversaw the killing of the Jews, the baby boys, time of Jesus' birth. Uh, Agrippa's father was the one who had the uh, apostle Peter imprisoned and James beheaded. And so now we've got a new Herod before us and the question is now what's about to unfold as we continue to unpack this story and see how it relates to modern day life? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Now, Father, you know the needs that are here see, the struggles people are facing, issues of life, questions with regard to what is true, what is false, how does Christianity even relate to where he or she might be at in the issues that they are confronted with over the course of the past days and the days to come. We want to be extraordinarily relevant. We want to take timeless principles, and apply them in a timely way. We want to, as we say periodically, embrace the changeless truths and link them to these changing times. You know the needs that are here. You know what keeps us awake at night. You know the struggles that are being faced by so many. So whether it's in this building or whether it's to be viewed online. In one accord now, Father, we are placing ourselves under your word and ask that this teaching be such that we can stay focused upon Jesus Christ. Cause the one speaking to step aside and allow the resurrected one to stand forth. So Father, these moments are important. So we're praying now once again that you would warm these hearts. To engage these minds, shape these wills. Again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus, Him only. I'm praying these things again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Charles Allen was a gifted pastor for decades in the Houston, Texas region with a television broadcast that was seen not only nationally, but in some places outside the U.S. Dr. Allen had been offering a series of teachings on the promises of God. And it caught one man's particular attention, a Vietnam vet. We're told here that the worship service of the church was being broadcast on television And this vet was watching each and every week. Alan tells us that one week he got a letter from a young man who had served in the Vietnam War. Wounded, was in a local hospital being treated. Uh, He had tuned in, in particular, wanting to embrace the teachings on the promises of God and wrote Dr. Allen to express his appreciation, and then went on to say this. Sir, I've been processing what you've said, teaching on the promises. During the war, I stepped on a mine, lost both of my legs, Now the promises of God are the only things upon which I can stand upon. What we want to do in today's study is to be able to link together the promises of God with the ways of God. The promises of God are irrevocable. They might sometimes apply particularly to the nation of Israel. At other times, they might apply to a certain individual, such as Abraham. But then again, there are promises that are to be applied to believers of all times and all settings. What we want to do now is to look at a particular promise that was given to the Apostle Paul and develop some principles off of it. Because as we've penned in Our insert for today's bulletin where the Apostle Paul in his dark moments alone wondering what would come next found that the Lord would break in stand by him and say to him take courage for as often for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem so you must testify also in, in Rome. The Apostle Paul knows that no matter what he experiences here in Caesarea, no matter how difficult the situation is in the here and the now of his life, God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. And all of this is meant to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ in Rome. What Paul is going to have to do is to take that extraordinary promise delivered to him by God and link it now to the various ways in which God works his his promises out so that all things bring honor to him. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. Because I want to look this morning at three particular situations that you and I might find ourselves in Certainly situations that the Apostle Paul found himself in. And see now how the promises of God is tied to the ways of God shape our lives. And the first thought comes out of verse 13 down through verse 16. And we're going to phrase it like this. As you and I, as we recall the promises of God. It's appearing on the screen. Trust his ways. Even when unfair circumstances seem to be prolonged, and maybe that's where you are at right now, where it seems as though something has been so prolonged in your own personal experience, and what you look at in terms of your current situation seems to be totally unfair. And why is it that I seem to be so linked to the past, and the past seems to be reappearing in the present? creating a set of difficult circumstances that I couldn't have even predicted a week ago. Is that where you're at? Here's Paul. He's incarcerated for standing up for Jesus. And now in verse 13, you and I launch into this, and we begin with this phrase, now when some days had passed, Agrippa the king... And Bernice, that's his sister, arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. Say, I don't know these names. Help me. Okay, Herod now is the king over a certain province within Israel that would have been part of the jurisdiction pertaining to Paul's case. Festus is the Roman governor. Think Pontius Pilate, the prior Roman governor. More recently, there's a Felix who was then recalled and sent back to Rome because there was a Jewish uprising, complaints against Felix of being heavy-handed, and now Felix had to give an account to the emperor whose name was Nero. We've heard of him. All to be replaced by Festus. Festus knows how unpredictable Nero is. He also knows how unpredictable the uprisings in Jerusalem are. I mean, just look at what's happened this weekend. And so now you pull all that together then and what we have to be able to do is to take something which is certain, the promises of God, connect them now to the mysterious ways of God and allow for the circumstances of life to come forward and we begin to work our way through them. And so here is Agrippa. He's the son of the one who had James beheaded. He is the son of the father whose father had incarcerated Peter with full intent of having Peter put to death and now here's Paul and he's in prison and here comes another Herod the king and Bernice and so together now they might be recalling how their dad handled such situations and now arriving at Caesarea they greet Festus after all he's the new governor they want to send greetings And so here in verse 14, mark this. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is a man left prisoner by Felix. Count on that. There is a man left prisoner by Felix, the previous governor. Which means then, Paul has been now in custody for over two years. There's a change in government, and yet there, Paul is to be found. Life seems unfair. And I thought about that when William Willimon, who had been chaplain at Duke, wrote, I know a woman who, after her diagnosis of cancer, Prayed twice every day for God to heal her. And a year later, as she entered her third round of chemotherapy, she said, well, it looks like once again, God isn't on my schedule. I guess God's decided to heal me. at some other time, and then looking upward, and perhaps in some other place, alluding to heaven. Wilman writes, She had been given a level of faith in that time I have yet to reach. Now, the Apostle Paul is going to have to keep hope alive, morning and evening. Keep hope alive, now and tomorrow. Now, when you look at your hope, is it a yesterday or is it a today? Are you linking your today to your tomorrow? And furthermore, in your linkages, are you linking together the promises of God with the mysterious ways of God, but because he might do something different than what you had planned for him to do? Has he ever done that to you? You got plans for God? Perhaps the Apostle Paul, during these days of custody, was able to reflect upon the words of Isaiah 55. In verses eight and nine, he would read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What do you do then? when you link together God's promises with God's ways, which can seem so extraordinarily mysterious that it seems as though his schedule is different than yours and his plans are different than yours. When you and I read here that God, speaking through Isaiah said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, then what we need to do is to spend enough time in God's word drinking up from the deep, well, of God's word, so that his thoughts increasingly become our thoughts, you see. There's a painting that maybe we'll have shown on a screen in subsequent weeks. Paul's in custody. It's a painting of Paul investing time in God's word in the midst of his imprisonments, allowing for God's thoughts to become Paul's thoughts. If you're going to be a creative thinker in the time period we now are in, we need to take these irrevocable promises, link them to the unique, mysterious ways of God, which might vary day in, day out, and allow for God's thoughts to become our thoughts. How? By allowing the the truths of God's word, which are changeless, To be applied to the times in which we live which are changeable that's what you get here out of that 14th verse there is a man left prisoner by felix paul do you feel forgotten and he would say not forgotten by my god He met me in prison, you know. Well, here we have it. And Festus now has made his way up into our verse 15. After talking about this man who's been left in prison by Felix, prior governor. Festus now fills in this king here with some more detail. When I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him because they knew that they did not have the right, you see, to institute capital punishment. But Rome did. They lay out their case. But you see, it was based upon a series of false assumptions that led to false accusations, as we've stated repeatedly over these weeks. And so... What we find is that the governor of Festus says, I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face. I thought about that. In one of my biographies, there's a story of a prior president, Grover Cleveland, who is facing false accusations. There was a pastor in Brooklyn Henry Ward Beecher, who's a friend of the president, rose to his defense. And on October 22nd of that year, at a public gathering in New York City, here's what Beecher said. When in gloomy night of my own suffering, I sounded every depth of sorrow, I vowed that if God would bring the days of hope I would never allow a brother in Christ, a friend in Christ, neighbor in Christ, to go unfriended should, like a serpent, seek to sting to death an upright man with a series of false accusations. Oh, Paul. You can feel so alone there when the prosecuting attorney is drinking up false accusations, pressing the charges. Where do you go? What do you do? As you and I recall the promises of God, trust his ways, even when unfair circumstances just seem so prolonged, they just keep on keeping on and watch for the way in which God breaks in. All right. There's a second situation I want to draw out here. I want to draw out for you verses 17 through 19 now, and put it this way. As we recall the promises of God, trust his ways, even when essential truths are being disputed. That's what's about to take place here. You're up to verse 17. So now, when they came together here, he's recalling his accusers, the accusers of Paul. I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal, ordered the man to be brought. Speaking of Paul. When the accusers stood up. They brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Pause. Even the one, then, who is, who is the judge has made false assumptions. And he's listened to the false accusations, but somehow things are not connecting. They are not able to press their case. They're not able to press charges regarding the evils that he had supposed. But what happens? Check out verse 19. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion. Now, you've got to bear in mind Festus is a secular Roman. He doesn't have a hook to hang this hat when it comes to the religious arguments that are unfolding for him. And all of a sudden, there appears in the conversations, talk about a certain Jesus. I can almost see now, Festus pulls out his court documents, legal cases of the past. Oh, there was a prior governor, his name was Pontius Pilate. and He oversaw the legal situation of, of having Jesus Christ put to death that certain Jesus as he's processing now legally because that would be typical of an individual such as Festus he hears about this certain Jesus and notice the wording who was dead Pontius Pilate had to make absolutely certain that Jesus was dead Soldiers reported in that the bones need not be broken because the reality was that Jesus had already passed away. But now notice that it does not read, but is alive. No. Instead, we are told that Festus said, that a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. What do you make of that? Let's say we're listening in on this conversation. It was a good one. You've got a religious unbeliever, King Herod, talking to a secular unbeliever, Governor Festus. And they're trying to figure out what to make of this one who was dead, but who Paul says... Not what they think, but whom Paul says has been made alive. And what do political figures and governmental figures do with something like that? But Billy Graham processed that. I was invited to have coffee one morning with Konrad Adenauer before he retired as the Chancellor of Germany. And when I walked in, I expected to meet a tall, stiff, formal man who might even be embarrassed if I brought up the subject of religion. But after the greeting, the chancellor suddenly turned to me and said, Mr. Graham, in the form of a question, what is the most important thing in the world? And before I could answer, he had answered his own question. He said, if Jesus Christ is alive, there is hope for the world. If Jesus Christ is in the grave, then I do not see the slightest glimmer of hope, politically, on the horizon. Then he amazed me by saying that he believed that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was one of the best attested facts of history. And he said, when I leave office, I intend to spend the rest of my life gathering scientific proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this has been a threatening situation for political leaders throughout all of history. Soviet Union had to again and again and again deal with those within the Soviet Union that would argue, but Jesus Christ is alive just before the tearing down of the Berlin Wall. This is why the church in China is such a threat to the Chinese government today. Because there is one greater than the government who is alive, you see. And so when Jesus Christ, God, is uppercase authority and the festuses and the Agrippas of this world are lowercase authority, we've got proper perspective. But what happens when secular and religious unbelievers flip it? Then the believer has got to step forward and say, says, I keep hope alive. My Savior lives. Check out the evidence. Gets me through my today. Gets me through my tomorrow. There's Paul. They're discussing this legally. They're discussing this politically. They know the tensions out there. The accusers want... Paul condemns so he will die. They realize they've got a Roman citizen on their hands, and if, and if this governor bows to these accusers, he's going to get recalled, lose his job, and maybe his life. What does he do? Well, Paul is going to help him. As you and I recall, the promises of God, trust his ways, Even when unfair circumstances seem to be prolonged in 13 through 16, even when essential truths are being disputed, such as there the situation where the Jewish religious teachers were saying no resurrection, in verses 17 through 19, crunch time. Here's your third situation. (coughs) As you and I recall the promises of God, trust his ways. Thirdly, even when threatening people are becoming involved, getting involved, watch what unfolds. Being at a loss, Festus the governor says to Agrippa the king, being at a loss, how to investigate these questions, the Roman legal system did not hook hands, to hang this hat. I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. In other words, he set up an either or for Paul. You can be tried here in Caesarea, or you can be tried here in Jerusalem. Now, what I want to say to believers this morning, beware of either ors that go beyond true versus false and right versus wrong. There are other categories, such as the good, the better, and the best. He's set up an either-or scenario. Don't get trapped. Paul sees a third way out. He's going to appeal to Rome. That way he won't be ambushed on the way to Jerusalem. That way, then, Festus is not going to have to bow to the whims in the reasoning of the religious officials in Jerusalem. It's a win-win, win. Because there's a third way here. He's thinking strategically. Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, so I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. And while Paul waits, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. And Bethany Hamilton would agree with that. Some of you know her story. At the age of 13, she was surfing off an island of Hawaii. She was attacked by a, by a tiger shark, leaving her without her left arm. She was devastated and began to question whether she could continue surfing. But She pressed on and figured out how to move forward while waiting on God. Here's the rest of the story. About a year following her accident, Bethany signed up with World Vision and boarded a plane en route to tsunami-stricken Thailand. She spent the week serving the people of Thailand in many different ways. But perhaps for her, the most memorable involved helping more than 50 children from the village she served at overcome their fear of the ocean by taking them surfing where the tsunami had occurred. God can use today's circumstances as a means by which building a bridge into tomorrow, you can give hope and keep it alive for people that are overtaken by the challenges and the difficulties and the overwhelming nature of life. God said to Paul, I'm sending you to Rome. Didn't tell you how you'd get there. He's not going to tell me he's going to be in custody all the way there. He's just saying, I'll get you there. Now, God's going to get you there, wherever it is that he's planned for you. But his ways may not be your ways, and your ways may not be his ways. And the only way to reconcile all of this is to go deep into God's word. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So you're linking now, you're connecting the promises of God to the ways of God, and don't put God on a timer. Because after two-plus years still in custody, all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, Herod, King Agrippa, speaks up. He's listened. And so he says to the governor Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, You will hear him. Herod, I don't want you to miss out on the linkage we are about to make. A prior governor whose name was Pilate worked in cohort with a king whose name was Herod. They thought they were in charge. But you see, uppercase authority, God. God was in charge. And allowed for them to fulfill his promise of Jesus Christ going to the cross to die for our sins. And then three days later, God raised Jesus from the grave. He used a Roman governor and an Israeli king. Now what's unfolding here in Caesarea, God has made a promise to Paul. He is about to use a Roman governor combined with a king whose name is Herod. Sound familiar? To combine forces so that God's promise, in accordance with his plan, achieving his purpose, is fulfilled. And just as in the case of Jesus Christ, where the promise was fulfilled, Paul will make his way to Rome because God has promised it. You see? What God is doing then is that he is linking a religious unbeliever and a secular unbeliever, a King Herod, and a governor by the name of Festus to achieve his purposes so that the gospel could go forth in Rome, fulfilling God's plan, going into all the world, making disciples of all the nations. Do you see the brilliance of this? I mean, late at night, I... I found myself one particular night, I was just walking back and forth in the living room processing this. As Yoki Berra would say, it's deja vu all over again, you see. God's promises are irrevocable, God's ways are mysterious, God's sovereignty is undeniable. He reigns, all seemed lost. How do you keep hope alive? But then this brilliant expositor, Dr. Allen, is being heard globally. And a young man who served in the Vietnam War, wounded, listens carefully and to express his appreciation for the series on the promises of God, literally the series entitled Standing on the Promises, writes, I love your series. During the war, I stepped on a mine, lost both of my legs. Now the promises of God are the only things that I can stand on. And then added, God's ways are mysterious, but Jesus is my Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. We want to develop extraordinary wisdom in all these services as well as for our presence online. Which we're going to have to do then is rather than keeping everything separate and coincidental to create links, links between your promises and your ways. Even when our circumstances are prolonged and seem extraordinarily unfair, even when Truths have been communicated but for some reason are being disputed. Even when threatening people all of a sudden re-emerge, a new line of Herod's theorists metaphorically speaking have now stepped forward. It seems like the past and the present are colliding. You're still in charge. If you could take a Pilate and a Herod to fulfill a promise of a Messiah going to the cross to die for sins only three days later to be raised from the grave if you could take a Festus and a Herod who think they are in charge to send Paul to Rome but Paul knows that was your plan all along And may we now create the links that we have spotted here in this morning's exposition. Apply them now where we are at as individuals. Trust you. Love you. Live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.